0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 238. It's titled, The U.S. is more socialist than Denmark when it comes to home mortgages. Last week in the New York Times was a column by Brett Stevens titled, Yes, Venezuela is a Socialist Catastrophe. He wrote, Conspicuous by its absence in much of the mainstream news coverage of Venezuela's political crisis is the word socialism. Yes, every sensible observer agrees that Latin America's once richest country, sitting atop the world's largest Proven oil reserves is an economic basket case, a humanitarian disaster, a dictatorship whose demise cannot come soon enough. But socialist? Perish the thought. On Venezuela, what you're likelier to read is that the crisis is the product of corruption, cronyism, populism, authoritarianism, resource dependency, U.S. sanctions, and trickery. Even the residues of capitalism itself. Just don't mention the S-word because, you know, it's working really well in Denmark. I discussed Venezuela at length in episode 157, titled The Most Important Economic Question of Our Time, and they're going through a a huge political crisis right now, but that's not the topic of today's episode. We want to talk about home mortgages and socialism. Alex J. Pollock, he is Distinguished Senior Fellow of Finance and Insurance at R Street. This is a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy research organization. They are focused on promoting free markets and limited effective government. Pollock gave a speech in Denmark where he was discussing the U.S. mortgage market and how. Households borrow and how the entire market works. And someone from Denmark sort of kind of shared how that market works. After the speech, the chief executive of one of the Danish mortgage banks told Alex, you know, in Denmark, we always say that we are the socialist and America is the land of free enterprise and free markets. But I see that in housing finance, it's just the opposite. How is it the U.S. is socialist when it comes to housing finance? In 1938, Congress created the Federal National Mortgage Association, known as Fannie Mae. And in 1970, they created the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, known as Freddie Mac. These are government-sponsored Enterprises. They were privately owned financial institutions, but they had a public mission. Their mission was to create and provide a stable source of funding for residential mortgages across the U.S., including loans for low and moderate income families. This is data, or this background information is from a Congressional Budget Office report that came out in 2010 titled Fannie Mae. Freddie Mac, and the federal role in the secondary mortgage market. What Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do is they purchase mortgages that meet certain criteria, and then they take those mortgages and package them into a pool of loans, which is known as mortgage-backed securities, and they guarantee against losses from defaults on those underlying mortgages. Those mortgage-backed securities are sold to investors, and this process is known as securitization. In addition, what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do, in order to access capital to, to initially buy these loans, they issue debt, which is known as agency securities, which are also sold to investors. Now, up until 2008... These GSEs were were privately owned. They had stock outstanding. In fact, they were one of very they performed very well. The stocks over time. I remember as an institutional money manager looking at a number of active large company stock managers, and, and typically they would hope they would hold Ginny May or Freddie Mac. Here's the thing, though. Even though they were private. They had this implicit federal guarantee. They they played a prominent role in the the mortgage market. And they could borrow at very, very cheap rates. They were exempt from state and local taxes. They didn't have to register their securities with the Security and Exchange Commission. They had a line of credit with the U.S. Treasury. And so they had this advantage and as a result, they could borrow very, very cheaply. Then the housing crisis came. And in 2008, the U.S. government took over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now, there's also Ginnie Mae, which, is, which, is, which guarantees the mortgages, uh, FHA loans and loans through, for, for veterans. That's always been wholly owned by the U.S. government. The Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008 created or established the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and it had authority to take over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, put them into what's known as conservatorship, and that took place in September 2008. Essentially, they could lend, the Treasury could lend to the GSEs, but these two GSEs, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had to turn all their profits over to the U.S. government. They continued to have this guarantee. And Freddie Mac took $71 billion from the U.S. Treasuries. But they've continued to pay dividends to back to the U.S. Treasury. And they've paid $112 billion. So 60% more than what they took. Meanwhile, their stock is still trading. You can buy it. Your stock in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. In 2007, Freddie Mac stock was selling for $63.60. Now it's selling for less than $3. But it's up 150% year to date. What's changed? Well, Comptroller of the Currency, Joseph Otting, was appointed by President Trump to head up this federal. Housing Finance Agency that oversees Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And there's some speculation that, that they want to take these two entities out of conservatorship. In, f- in fact, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told Bloomberg Television, I would like to get them out of conservatorship. Chris Whalen is publisher of the Institutional Risk Analyst. He was quoted in Almost Daily Grants newsletter, January 8, 2019, about this idea of taking these government-sponsored enterprises, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, out of conservatorship. He says, if you do that, you'll have to go raise money. That's what the law says. So you can put them through receivership, same way they came out as they were at Inception, and then you would have to go raise private capital. The only thing that matters to bond investors is the federal wrapper. From a credit perspective, that is all that matters. You are a triple A or not. Most private mortgage banks are B credits. So the idea is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they can borrow in the capital markets right now. And they can borrow at very, very cheap rates. And if they have to raise more capital because they're not going to be under the umbrella of the U.S. government, the question is what will they have to borrow at? Will they be non-investment grade, essentially single B credits, or will they continue to have the implicit backing of the federal government, able to borrow cheaper as they borrow capital to, to build up their balance sheet, but also to buy mortgages? And again, this the yield on mortgage-backed securities are lower than they would be otherwise because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guarantee those mortgage-backed securities, which are pools of mortgages, against Default, And in turn, because they're essentially under the control of the federal government, the U.S. government is guaranteeing the performance of those mortgages. Whaling continues, the bottom line is that in order for the GSCs to function as they do today and issue debt at the spreads they do today, they have to have a federal guarantee. So when the hedge funds complain about the return of capital, they are wrong. The sweep of all GSE's profits to the U.S. Treasury is payment for the use of the full faith and credit of the United States every day. The U.S. is unusual. Most federal governments don't protect lenders against default in the mortgage market. Yet in the U.S., Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae, they control 90% of the mortgage market. They don't, they're not the primary, well, Ginnie Mae is a primary issuer through the FHA and, and veterans loans. But Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're buying in the secondary market. So you have, you have banks that are issuing the initial mortgage, and then they're selling those that qualify to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And those GSEs, that's 90% of the mortgages are are, are somehow they're involved with that federal guarantee yet the homeowner the homeowner rate in the US at 63% isn't necessarily any higher in fact it's less than average on average in across 18 developed countries 69.6% of households own their own home in the US it's 63.7% In Denmark, it's 62.7%, so very similar to the U.S. But how how does the Danish market differ? How is that less socialist? Well, in the Danish market, the Danish government is not guaranteeing the performance on mortgages. The households and banks are on the hook if there is default. I got the information on the Danish mortgage market from a report by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. It's titled Peas in a Pod, Comparing the US and Danish Mortgage Finance Systems. They point out that the Danish mortgage banks are vertically integrated. So the same banks originates and owns the mortgages, funds them in the covered bond market. In other words, the mortgages are securitized, but the originating banks still is able to identify that particular mortgage. They service the mortgage. They undertake foreclosure proceedings if need be. What's interesting about the the mortgage securitization, it's called the Danish-covered bond model, is these mortgages are sold into the marketplace as mortgage-backed securities, but the banks continue to have the credit risk. The bank doesn't take the interest rate risk. They don't take the risk of prepayment. That's part of the, the mortgage-backed security market. But the, the holders of those mortgage-backed securities get compensated if the borrower defaults. And they're not compensated by some, some, some GSE. They're compensated by the, the, the originating bank. The bank maintains the credit risk. Now, what's interesting about that, because the, the the mortgage banks continue to service these mortgages, they have the credit risk, but they don't have any other risk related to it. They have an incentive to help the borrower refinance, because if the borrower is able to refinance at a lower rate, that will hurt the holder of the mortgage-backed security, but doesn't hurt the bank because the lower rate means that, that the household that owns the house, the borrower, potentially has lower payments and so less risk of default. The other thing that's interesting is if rates rise, the value of bonds fall and the principal value on these mortgage notes falls, the value of the bond, the, the market value of these bonds fall. And because the bonds are tied to specific mortgages, effectively a household could refinance their mortgage when rates go up, the value of the, the mortgage as part of this mortgage-backed security has fallen so the bank can buy that mortgage at a discount and then refinance The mortgage at the higher interest rate, but the principal value is lower because the value of the uh, the principal value of the house, the amount that's lent as part of the mortgage is lower because the value of that mortgage-backed security, that mortgage fell. We've talked about how bonds work as interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down, but the same effectively is true for mortgages. It's just that in the U.S., when you refinance your mortgage, the principal Is always sort of at par value. But in the Danish market, effectively, those mortgage values, if rates rise, you can buy back your mortgage at a discount. If rates fall, you don't have to pay a premium. You still pay the, the par value or whatever's owed on the house. But effectively, the banks have an incentive to help borrowers refinance. Because they want to lower their credit risk exposure. The other interesting thing is in the Danish mortgage market, if you sell your house, somebody else can take over your mortgage. The the buyer can take over your existing mortgage. And so the mortgage market facilitates that. Now, the big question, given the similarities and the differences between the U.S. and Danish mortgage market... Do Danish borrowers have to pay more for 30-year mortgages than U.S. borrowers? No, they actually pay much less. Before we look at why, let me pause and share some words from one of this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com david. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In Denmark, the mortgage interest rate on mortgages that are greater than 10 years, so 10 to 30 years, is 2.76%. That compares to the U.S. 30-year mortgage rate on average of 4.55%. Now, in the U.S., 30-year mortgages are based, are based on a 10-year expected life because of the refinancing. So, they're priced off 10-year treasury. So, that 4.55% is an apples-to-apples comparison with the 2.76% 10-plus-year mortgage rate in Denmark. Now, we have to look at what, what, are, what are government bond yields. In Denmark, the 10-year government bond is yielding 0.13% compared to the 10-year treasury yield at 2.69% in the U.S. So mortgage borrowers, households that borrow, are effectively borrowing in Denmark for 2.075% above the comparable government bond yield. In the U.S., that spread is 1.86%. So mortgage borrowers for a 30-year mortgage are paying about 1.86% more than 10-year treasuries. So, effectively, once you adjust for the spread or what government bond yields are, Denmark, Danish borrowers pay about 0.8% more for their mortgages relative to the government bond yield than the U.S. How is it? That's not very much. Especially considering that the government doesn't guarantee Mortgages against default like they do in the U.S. You would think that Denmark, Danish borrowers will be paying significantly more because of the higher cost of capital. Reflecting the credit risk that the banks hold, but they don't. And the reason why is the default rate on Danish mortgages is extremely low. Typically less than 0.2% per year. Currently in the U.S. the default rate on mortgages is three percent. It got as high as eleven and a half percent in the first quarter of 2010. The low was one point four percent in Q4 2004. We compare that to Denmark. For most, for decades, it's been less than zero point five percent. The highest that I could find was 1990. It was one point. 5%. During the the housing crash, the default rate on Danish mortgages was 0.2%. And it's not the the Federal Reserve report Federal Reserve Bank of New York report pointed out that Danish housing prices during the financial crisis, they fell just like US prices. And the economy in Denmark is 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 volatile. It goes through periods of contraction and expansion, just like everywhere else. The difference is, in Denmark, the homeowner is personally liable for the mortgage loan. If the borrower misses a payment, foreclosure takes place within six to nine months. The bank has the collateral of the house, but even after foreclosure the borrower remains liable for any debt that goes unpaid and that obviously discourages delinquency that's very different than the US if you, once you fore, if you get foreclosed on if you're underwater the bank cannot come after you you're not personally personally liable for that why because the US government is stepping in to protect the bank or the, the, the investors, really. The, the government is stepping in to protect the investors that have bought those mortgage-backed securities. Now, it's done through these GSEs. Effectively, Freddie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are guaranteeing any mortgage defaults within these mortgage-backed securities but standing behind them is the U.S. government. What that means is, is that as household borrowers within the mortgage market, we're getting a government subsidy. That's when we talk about the, the U.S. housing market is more socialist. The, the government is backing up and protecting investors through these guarantees. It's not happening in Denmark, which is typically considered to be more socialist. There, it's much more the private market. You have these mortgage banks that have been around for decades, if not centuries. They continue to hold those mortgages. They are on the hook. They have skin in the game. Investors buy into the mortgage-backed security market. They don't have credit risk. They have the interest rate risk, the prepayment risk. But it's it's done within the private market compared to the US. The US government is involved with ninety percent of mortgages that are issued today. A couple of weeks ago I held a meetup for members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus in Seattle. One of those members is Gavin. He's a mortgage broker, which means that he helps borrowers get mortgages. And he gets paid to do that. I got to talking with him and and I effectively asked him, why do you exist? I used a mortgage broker back in 2005. I paid several thousand dollars. And at the end of the experience, I felt like I didn't get a whole lot out of it. In the course of the conversation, he mentioned, well, this assumes you realize that individuals no longer have to pay mortgage brokers directly, that they're paid by the banks. And I didn't realize it. I haven't been following what's been going on with mortgage brokers. It's very different now with mortgage brokers. It's a much, effectively, it's gotten cleaned up. Mortgage brokers have to register. They have to be licensed now. And no longer can banks compensate mortgage brokers based on the interest rates or essentially how much was the mortgage broker able to get out of the borrower in terms of yield and additional points. That's how mortgage brokers were compensated. The more that the borrower paid, the more they got paid. No more. It's a much more ethical industry and Gavin talked about all the ways mortgage brokers can help, particularly if you don't have great credit or you have other ways that you want to structure the deal because mortgage brokers work with wholesale lenders. When you borrow on a mortgage, you can you can do you can go directly to your local bank and get retail rates. There certainly are online lenders, but there's also wholesale lending where some banks Work with mortgage brokers and will pay mortgage brokers a commission. It tends to be a, a flat fee type commission. But mortgage brokers that those that a lot of them got out of the business. They, once things fell apart, they got out. Individuals like Gavin, they stayed and they continued to work with borrowers. And they're very, very smart. Many of them that are still there because you have to be really good at finance because there's all these different options. I pulled down a rate sheet from one of the wholesale banks. So many different options. Freddie Mac does an annual or does a weekly analysis of all the mortgage rates around the country, kind of do a survey. And one of the things that they found is that individuals should be getting multiple quotes in terms of when they're out ready to borrow on their mortgage. They shouldn't just take whatever they get from the local bank. They should check around. They should check online. They should check with mortgage brokers who are able to access borrowing or get quotes from a number of different wholesale banks, which will these wholesale banks will always be raising or lowering their rates based on how many deals they want to do. And Freddie Mac found that if a borrower would check numerous sources, three or four sources, they can often save $1,500 1500 to $2,000 over the life of the mortgage. So just be aware. So when you're borrowing, check out mortgage brokers. Check out your, your local credit union. Check multiple sources. Get great clarity on the pricing. And then make a choice. And if you're a U.S. borrower, be grateful that the U.S. government is giving you a subsidy by being willing to step in behind the GSCs to cover that mortgage if you happen to to default so that you can walk away and not be personally liable like you would be if you lived in Denmark and and really other countries. a very great variety of mortgage markets around the world. That's episode 238. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. And while you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide. The weekly email I send out to that list. If you sign up for that, you never have to go to moneyfortherestofus.com again to get the show notes because I'll send them to you along with some of the best writing I do each week, an essay or expound on that week's episode or some other topic on investing and the economy. just goes to that email list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific... Risk situation, I'm not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.